Hey, welcome to Gospel Church uh, this week, or Gospel Church Online as it stands at the moment. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a pleasure to have you here with us. Uh, this week is the week after Easter, uh, and so we're stepping back into our series here through uh, the, the Gospel of Luke. We're calling this series The Limitless Gospel, because in Luke's Gospel, we see Jesus breaking through barriers and crossing boundaries, destroying our concept of who he can reach and who he can be, and being the better saviour that we needed, right up to the cross. And so we call this series The Limitless Gospel, because he breaks the limits. But I just wanted to start out today and say, we've been, um, we've been having some, some listeners tune into our online services. You are so welcome here, anyone. Uh, but we've had listeners tuning in who are outside of our normal group who've been coming along to our physical services before the, the COVID-19 crisis. And I just wanted to say a little aside note for those people. Uh, if you are stepping in on this, and this is your first time in our series through Luke's Gospel, uh, or maybe you heard uh, Phil's sermon and Matt's sermon uh, before Easter, but, but, but other than that, you haven't had them. You can access the rest of those by heading over to our website. They're at gospelchurchminlison.com. Uh, and in the, in the listen page there, you can listen to all of them. Or you can head over and find our uh, podcast by searching Gospel Church as one word on any major podcasting platform and scrolling down a bit because we're not that famous. Uh, <laughs> um, now, let me think, was that all I was going to say to you? Maybe I'll chuck some links in the, in the description of this video today, uh, just so that you can uh, get to those things a bit more easily. Uh, but things I never expected to say as a pastor, right? You know, especially a pastor of a small country church, uh, this, this I didn't expect to come up, at least so soon. Uh, as I've mentioned, uh, we're traveling through Luke's gospel, the limitless gospel, uh, and we've reached a passage today that feels really relevant to us today, in, in my mind. <laughs> uh, and it's Jesus healing the leper and healing the paralytic uh, in Luke chapter 5. If, if you've got a Bible with you, please open up to uh, Luke chapter 5. And we're going to be going there today. If you're a part of Gospel Church, you might have one of the Luke Scripture journals. Uh, it's on page, I will tell you in a second, page 40. Of that. Uh, but first, I'm just going to pray for us as we start out, uh, and then we'll get into this. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are the limitless Christ, that you break through the barriers, that you break through and you save us, Lord, that you are the one who can reach the unreachable, touch the untouchable, save the unsavable and restore the unrestorable. Lord, we pray that we would see you clearly today, that we would see the risen Christ, the, the, the great glorious saviour of the world, Jesus, and that in seeing you, we would be changed. In seeing you, we would be led to believe more clearly, more uh, firmly, Lord, be planted on the foundation of our lives, Jesus. We pray it in his name, in Jesus' name, in your name. Amen. So yeah, we're in, we're in the limitless gospel. Uh, and the limitless nature of Jesus' ministry really starts to come to the foreground in this passage that we're in today. Uh, but I believe that as Luke wrote this passage, there's a big question that he wants us to ask. 
Uh, there's, there's a big question that we should start asking here. Really, really, we should have been asking this question almost since the start of the gospel. At the very least, since the beginning of Jesus' uh, ministry in Galilee in Luke chapter 4, we should have been asking this one big question. And not, not just us. It just sits in the background of every passage here. It keeps building up and building up really until Luke chapter 9, it reaches a bit of a climax and we'll get there another day. But uh, it's just before the, the gospel turns, it reaches that point. The gospel turns in Luke chapter 9 from the ministry in Galilee to Jesus on the road to Jerusalem, on the road to the cross, that is. And so there's this huge build up over this section where we should be asking this one question and we're pushed to ask this one question again and again and where everyone around Jesus in the gospel is being pushed to ask the same question again and again and again. Uh, but I'm, I'm actually not going to tell you that question. Not yet. Uh, I want you to listen to this passage uh, as, as we read it, and as we talk about it. I want you to try to get yourself there. Um, and then we'll, we'll come back to this at the end, okay? But, but just be asking yourself here, what's the big question that Luke wants me to ask? What's the big question that Jesus drives me to ask about him in this passage? And not just me, what is everyone in this passage being led to ask? What is everyone who surrounds Jesus being pushed to ask by Jesus' actions? Yeah, whether, whether crowds or lepers, whether, whether paralytics or Pharisees, everyone's being driven to the same question here. And they keep getting driven to it throughout these chapters. Okay, enough about the question. Our, our, our passage today comes in just after Jesus has called the first disciples to follow him. Uh, he's going to keep calling people to follow, but at the moment he's got Peter, Andrew, James and John, the four disciples. And it's worth saying this would have been a pretty interesting, a pretty intense start to ministry as a disciple of Jesus. I mean, he had just told them that from now on you will be fishers of men. Do you remember that? And uh, uh, they, were, they, were, they were called to bring in others, right? And, and who is the first other that we see them reaching? You know, if you were the disciples, who might you have imagined was going to be the person that you were going to be reaching? Maybe kings, maybe rulers, maybe the wealthy and the influential. Well, what happens? Read this with me from, from Luke chapter 5, verse 12. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Hold there for a sec. So a man full of leprosy. Now, if you, if you ask a biblical scholar, they'll tell you that leprosy in the Bible and in that time referred to a variety of skin conditions, not just the one that we would call leprosy today. Uh, it has another name. I can't remember it off the top of my head. Uh, but, but look at this here. Look at that description that we have there. Uh, full of leprosy. That's, that's some, some strong words. This guy didn't just have a mild case of, case of psoriasis, did he? Uh, he I, I would say it seems pretty likely that he had the full-on disease of leprosy here. 
really at its, at its end stage. And that means it probably was a really horrific thing that came, uh, came into, the, into this passage. Like what, what happened here? If you, if you don't know, you, you probably do, but if you don't know, leprosy is a disease that kills your pain receptors, your, your, your pain nerves. Uh, you cease to be able to feel. And, and slowly, as you inadvertently do more and more damage, just in the day-to-day, by, by touching things that are too hot and not realising by by grabbing things and grasping too hard because you don't realise that it's going to damage you because you can't feel the pain. By, by splashing your face with scalding hot water and not realising how hot it is. Gradually, gradually, you damage yourself more and more until fingers become stumps, toes fall off, hands and feet are gone. Uh, even eyelids can be lost in this. It's, it's a really horrific illness. Really, um, you, know, you become horribly disfigured. If, if you're full of leprosy. It doesn't, it doesn't have to look like this if you care for yourself well. I'm not saying that every person who has leprosy is like this, by the way. But leprosy, full-blown leprosy at its worst, really is, uh, I don't know of a better way to put it, it's the closest thing that there is in the medical world to what the makeup world in cinema does when they try to make someone look like they are the undead. <laughs> uh, it really is. It's, it's genuinely horrific at its worst end. Leprosy, it, it's, it's horrendous. And imagine then coming upon this guy. Imagine that you are one of the disciples. I don't, I don't mean to be harsh here, but the urge would have been to distance yourself from him, right? And imagine, imagine being him. Imagine being this man. You'd be painfully aware of how repulsed people were by you. And not, and not just repulsed, they're actually required to distance themselves from you. By law, a, a leper by Jewish law was unclean, ritually unclean, which meant that they were separated from the rest of the community, physically separated. They weren't allowed to live within the camp, within the town. And, and this was exacerbated. It, uh, they, they were physically separated by the, from the community and from the religious establishment, by the way. Uh, it was exacerbated by later rabbinical law. Uh, people had to keep a large distance from lepers under the rabbinical law. A house had to be washed inside and out if a leper stuck their head into the house. So people did not want them nearby. Lepers were in many ways the ultimate outcasts of Jewish society. Uh, ritually unclean, unable to be in community with others, unable to take part in the sacrifices at the temple, which is a big deal for a Jew. For all intents and purpose, they're separated from God and man in the eyes of everyone in the world. And if there was one universal fact of lepers, one thing that stands out as the one thing you never did with a leper, it was to touch a leper. Imagine, imagine it being a leper, especially such an obvious leper as this man, deprived of human contact for years and probably for the remainder of your life. No touch and no hope of that ever changing. We've been socially isolating a bit in Australia here recently with the whole COVID-19 thing going on. and around the world, of course, uh, most people have been. Uh, we're, we're meant to keep a one and a half meter distance between us. Uh, 
and, and others. And we aren't meant to gather with large groups aside from our household contacts. Uh, the number varies a little bit depending on, on your location in Australia as to how big that group is allowed to be. Um, but, but have you found that hard? Have you found that really challenging? I tell you, I have. Uh, I've found that really hard. Uh, I, I miss my church family. I miss being able to catch up with other people as well um, on a more regular, more easy basis. Imagine if you had to keep that up for the rest of your life. And not just the rest uh, of your life like that, a much higher standard than that. You know, no household contacts, no living within the community at all. You had to be distanced, outcast, until you die. A person who touched a leper made themselves unclean. They had special washing that they had to do, uh, and they, could, they couldn't be a part of the community for a period. If they contracted leprosy, which, which many people then believe was a very easy thing to contract, it's not as simple as they thought, but that they became ritually unclean themselves, potentially for life, often for life. So if you did touch someone as a leper, you know, there's every chance that you have condemned them to the same, the same living hell that you yourself are living in. It was that serious. Which means that what happened next is a bombshell. It's huge. Uh, read this with me. The guy runs up and trusts that Jesus can make him clean. And this is verse 13. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. Imagine this moment for the disciples. Uh, I, I have kids. Uh, I don't know if you do, um, but, but, but uh, if you've spent much time around kids, then you'd be aware of, of a thing. Um, I haven't come up with a name for it. It's a, certainly a principle that is that you always have to be aware with children. You always have to be on guard because at some point they're going to do something that you have to leap in and stop. You know, it's, it's the, no, don't touch that. That's too hot. No, 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 don't, don't do that. That, that, that'll, you know, that, that'll burn you. Uh, no, 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 don't press that. That'll set off the thermonuclear device. Uh, oh, now look what you've done. But, but you know what I mean? Um, it's, it's, it's that, that kind of, you're going to have to jump in and stop them from stepping in front of the swing any minute now. And I feel like, I feel like this would have felt Im immediately like one of those situations for the disciples. Uh, you know, they've just started following this guy. Um, no, Jesus, don't touch the door. Oh, he touched the, the leper. Ooh. But, but, but think about it. Imagine this as your apprehension turns to just disbelief at what happens next. As Jesus says, I will be clean. And Luke tells us that immediately the leprosy left him. Everything the disciples knew, everything that everyone knew, stated that when you touched a leper, when you touched this man, you became unclean. But Jesus comes in and Jesus flips it on its head. Jesus 
touches the untouchable. As the presence of God invades this fallen reality of humanity, in the presence of Jesus, in the person of Jesus, everything is flipped upside down. The light of his presence means that when he touches the unclean, he doesn't become unclean, they become clean. Sin and fallenness, do you see, they, they were a lot like leprosy. If humanity was a person, sin and fallenness were our leprosy. Damaging more and more, always spreading to more and more, always uh, increasing in every part, always pushing towards our eventual death. But Jesus enters the scene and the world will never be the same again. His very presence pushes back the effects of the fall. And he sends the man away to present himself to the priest, uh, as per Leviticus chapter 14. Um, and we don't, we don't have time to dig into that particular point fully today. We will a little bit, but not fully. Uh, I, I wish we did, though, um, because... Because there's so much in Leviticus 14 that informs what happens here. But, but we should ask, very briefly, why did Jesus send this guy to the priest? What's going on there? And, and the shallow answer is that Jesus is fulfilling the law. He fulfills all righteousness. Uh, and he fulfills all righteousness here by sending the man in accordance with the law to the priest. But, but Jesus says elsewhere, uh, all of the law and the prophets are fulfilled in me. And so there's more going on here. If you read Leviticus 14, the sacrifices that had to be made and, and the way that the leper had to be smeared with blood, it, it, it speaks a message. Um, it, there was like uh, five animals that needed to be sacrificed, three lambs and two birds. Um, there was an allowance for poor people that they could have a different animal. But, um, but, but it, was, it was a huge process, a week-long process of, of sacrifice and reunification with the community um, that the, the guy had to go through to be declared clean. Uh, and, and you see this, this whole process, um, you know, the, 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 the leper who had been cleansed would have the blood of a bird that was a sacrifice for him smeared on his ear and on his thumb and on his foot to say that he would listen to God, that he would work and follow God, because now he was back. He was back a part of God's community. He was part of God's people. He'd been brought back in by the blood sacrificed for him. It's a picture that looks forward to Jesus. And it seems to me that Jesus sent this guy to do this in part so that one day, he would see the crucified Jesus whose blood was spilled for him and realise it was all about him. Really, he'd do with the law what the law was made to do, which is to point to Jesus. He is the blood offering for me. He's the one who brings me back to God. He cleanses me, so I will go on following him. Him who brought me back to God. Jesus, 
He reaches the unreachable. And before we keep on going, I have to say a quick something about verse uh, 15 and 16 here. Uh, they're significant, uh, although this is going to be a little bit of an aside. Um, I just have to say, it's, it's really important. Have you ever told yourself that you are too busy to rest in God's presence or to pray to God? Yeah, um, maybe uh, have, you, have you ever told yourself that you don't need those things? You don't need to stop to rest. You don't need to stop to pray. Look at, look at Jesus as your example here. We need to look to him here. Um, re read this with me. This is verse 15. Now, even more, the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. He's being bombarded by the crowds more and more. No one's busier than Jesus was here. So he makes a practice of going away to quiet places, to desolate places, in fact. He goes to wildernesses in order to do this. These are the lengths he's willing to go to. And he goes there to pray to his father, to be with his father personally and alone. You know, if Jesus was not too busy, then neither are we. If, if it was uh, uh, necessary for Jesus, vital for Jesus, then you can bet your bottom dollar it's vital for us. Now, now moving on into the second part of our passage, we're going to see Jesus make another astounding move. Jesus is in a house, there's a big crowd there, and this paralytic is trying to get to Jesus to be healed. And, uh, and, and he and his friends trust so much that Jesus can heal him that they actually deconstruct the roof of the place. They can't get through with the crowds because they've got the guy on a bed. So they pull the roof back and lower him down to Jesus. It's a pretty dramatic scene of what's going on here. And one thing you can say for sure is that the owner of the house was probably pretty upset about all this, but we don't get that mentioned. Uh, but, uh, but, but what Jesus does is really interesting, right? Um, he, what he doesn't do is he doesn't say, be healed, go home. He sees their faith and he says, your sins are forgiven you. And the fact that he does that shows us these two really important things. First, uh, <laughs> first this is the greater need. More than physical healing, we need forgiveness from God. Because whilst physical healing is really good, and, 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 and here and now throughout our life it can be really helpful, uh, forgiveness of sins bears eternal fruit. It bears eternal joy. A person who's just physically healed um, can have a great life, but they will one day get sick and die. And they will stand under the judgment of God eternally. But a person whose sins are forgiven, even though they die, they will live with God forever. They will have joy forever and they'll be well forever. The wellness of forgiveness of sins lasts longer than the wellness of healing. But 
But the other thing is, Jesus is aware of who is watching. Jesus is aware of who is watching. Uh, and, and he is aware that they need to know who he is. Do you notice that? Uh, that, that? Luke doesn't just say there was a crowd. Luke says Pharisees and teachers of the law were there. They were there to suss him out. They were there to uh, discern this guy and to test this guy, uh, this miracle worker from Galilee. Uh, and, and, and so Jesus shows them something central about himself. He shows them, I have authority to forgive sins. And they ask what is really a fairly reasonable question, but they reach an incorrect conclusion. They ask, who can forgive sins but God alone? It's a rhetorical question. They know the answer. They know Jesus knows the answer. They know everyone knows the answer. No one can forgive sins but God alone. Only God has the authority to do that. Only God can forgive us. And, and they're right, but, but their conclusion is that it is blasphemy for Jesus to say this. That Jesus is claiming to be God, but in fact is not God. And you can imagine, they might have even seen it as a bit of a cop-out for Jesus. You know, this guy clearly came here to get healed, he lowered through the roof to get healed. And Jesus, this apparent miracle worker, uh, he goes, your sins are forgiven you. Good faith. Um, and, you know, they might have seen it as a bit of a cop-out. Maybe he's just trying for the easy option. He can't really demonstrate that the man's sins have been forgiven, right? But Jesus, being Jesus, knows what they're thinking. And he asks them a question. He asks, which is easier? To say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? Notice he's not asking which is easier to do. It's, it's, it's easier to heal someone than to forgive their sins. Uh, healing uh, is, is simpler on a cosmic, eternal scale than the eternal act of forgiving the sins of a person. But he's saying which is easier to say. Because, of course, you can say your sins are forgiven you. And, and that's not immediately verifiable. You know, it's not immediately apparent. Whereas if you say to a paralytic, you're healed, get up, walk, and he doesn't get up and he doesn't walk, well, obviously you've, you've failed. It didn't work. So obviously it's harder to say, rise and walk. And Jesus doesn't even give them time to answer. Uh, but immediately to show them that he has the authority to do both of these things, he turns to the paralytic and says, Rise, pick up your bed and go home. And the guy gets up and walks out. Imagine being there. Jesus restores the unrestorable. It's worth noting that uh, everyone leaves this situation glorifying God, Luke says. You can't argue with the paralytic walking. Everyone leaves, at least for the moment, recognising this is of God what has happened here, and he's been good. But do you see what, what's happening more broadly here, right? Uh, we're seeing the authority of Jesus on display. The power of Jesus. He heals the sick. 
He makes the unclean clean. He forgives sins and he makes the lame, what the paralytic walk. Uh, as we see Jesus living out his ministry, we're seeing who Jesus is. And that brings us to the big question, right? That this whole uh, section should lead us to ask, that should lead every person to ask. And before I ask it, did you get it? Did you figure out what it is? What do you think the question is? It's going to keep coming up again and again. The question is simply this. Who is this man? Who is this guy? Who, who is this that sickness, sins and separations are wiped away by his very presence? And that's a question. It's going to keep rising more and more loudly from every direction as we go through this gospel. Who is this who calls sinners to follow him and they turn and they follow? Who commands storms to cease and it becomes dead calm? Who teaches with authority and calls us into a whole new community of faith? Who is this guy? And at the most basic level, the answer is becoming more and more clear, isn't it? He is God. He is God come into the world to redeem the world, to undo the fall and to call his people to him. And let me say, if you've not believed in Jesus, if you've not believed in the God man, there is no other like him. The God-man is the only one you can go to who can bring you back to God, who can save you, who has authority to forgive your sin and give you eternity with God. He's the only one with that kind of authority. So the word of God calls you today, believe. If you'd like to talk to someone about that, uh, let me say, it's a bit weird in this context of being online at the moment, but you can head over to gospelchurchmendleton.com forward slash contact and fill in the form there and give us your contact details. We'll, we'll call you. We'll, we'll get in touch. Um, that doesn't go into some massive database. It goes through to my email address um, and, and I'll get in touch with you. Uh, but, but for some of us, we might be tempted to think, gosh, uh, you know, especially for the Christians, we might think, gosh, I waited a whole sermon to hear that. I mean, he's Jesus. He's God as man. Great. We know that. But, but take in mind these two things. First, this is the greatest bombshell in all of history. God came down as a man. Not just came down as a man. Came down as a man who, who restored the unrestorable, touched the untouchable, reached the unreachable, and died for the unsavable. You. Me. But second, sure, that might not be such a surprise to you having heard it before. But the question goes deeper than just he's God. The answer goes deeper. If you acknowledge that Jesus is God, and if you say that you follow him, then you must understand the kind of God that he is. Jesus breaks our stereotypes and assumptions. He shatters them and he calls us who follow him to be changed by who he is. For us, the question, who is this man, must be followed by 
Who am I in light of this man? How does who he is change who I have to be? How does the glory of Christ change the person of me? He's God and God touches the untouchable. The holy God comes and reaches the unreachable. We are called as his followers to be reaching out faithfully to those that society says are beyond reach. Those who are excluded, who are unwelcomed, who are outcasts. God restores the unrestorable. As we talk to people, as we reach people, do we, see, do, we do that with the assumption that God can restore this person? God could save this person through the words that I'm speaking today. He can save this person just as easily as he can make a paralytic walk. Let me ask, in this time of pandemic, who are you reaching out to specifically? To show them that Jesus loves them, that they're not outside of God's reach. People are isolated. Now, we should be socially isolated at the moment. That is an act of love at the moment, to not give people this disease and not spread it. But, but people are isolated. People are feeling vulnerable. And people are in need of the love of God now as much as ever, more than ever, perhaps. Who are you appropriately offering help to? Who are you reaching? Because even if the world is looking to its own needs, I'm called to reach this person, to show them the love of God. Who are you praying for the salvation of right now? Which untouchable person that others would not just physically distance from, but would relationally distance themselves from, even without a pandemic, right? Which of them are you letting know that you're there for them in this time? Because Jesus loves them, even amidst this crisis, especially amidst this crisis. Why don't we pray about that? Jesus, thank you that you have loved us so deeply. Lord, we want to acknowledge that we were the untouchable here. We were the people who were distant from the presence of God, outside of your community, outside of your salvation. But you reached us. You brought us near. Jesus, reach others through us. Fill our vision with the glorious Christ. And through Christ in us, reach more. I pray, Lord, for anyone listening who doesn't know you, that you would bring the presence of Jesus into their life, that they would believe, that they would turn from sin and trust in you and be saved. And Lord, I pray for us all, particularly us Christians listening, that we would bring the presence of Jesus where we go, that we would be reaching the unreachable in your name, restoring the unrestorable by the power of your spirit, and that you would work mightily through your people here on your peninsula and everywhere. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen.